Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Here, we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. So I am your host, Mr. Zachary Rancourt, and my normal co-host, the peanut butter to my jelly, Mr. Justin Cavender. He is out of town being a rock star at various comic cons. So I decided to bring in my good friend and fellow geek lord, Mr. David Dassaw of the Geek Garage podcast. Welcome, David, and don't be crazy. Uh, I will certainly try, and thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I, I, man. I can't make any promises about being crazy. Like, if it's crazy when it comes to, like, movie opinions and stuff, I will certainly do my best. But, like, just crazy in general, like, I don't know. I can't feel like I shouldn't make any promises there. But well, do my, do my best as long as you as long as you don't sit here and tell me that you absolutely hated this amazing movie film that we're going to talk <laughs> about, because that no. would be the most outlandish thing you've ever said. And of course, that movie film is John Wick from 2014. So that's right. We are going to focus on the lovely action film starring Mr. Keanu Reeves, the man, the myth, the legend as the titular character, John Wick. And uh, this movie was directed by Chad Stahelski who was, fun fact, actually Keanu Reeves' uh, stunt double in The Matrix. This is his first endeavor with directing. He's actually pegged to do the Highlander reboot as well. They are doing a uh, Highlander reboot. They said there can only be one, but apparently there can only be two now. So Sean Connery <laughs> is turning in his grave. God damn it. <laughs> and then the uncredited director of this was David Leach. I think that's how you say his name, Leach. I think uh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did all the family films like Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw <laughs> and Atomic Blonde, to name a few. Atomic Blonde is great. We did that on this podcast, and it's very much a John Wick-esque uh, version, except with Shirley's Theron and mm -hmm. top notch, man. Right. Hobbs and Shaw is not terrible as far as movies go. Like it was a hell of a lot better than like the last couple of fast movies that <laughs> yeah. came out. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, like I'll still watch those movies as long as they still make them. I will keep going to the movie theater like a friggin' idiot. Because <laughs> here's watch my money. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't like I'm in this far. Like if you keep making them, I'll keep going to see them. I'm, I'm, I'm in too deep at this point in time. So I, there's no turning back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will still keep seeing them. I will see the 10th one when it is out. Mm. I watched Hobbs and Shaw on an airplane and that is exactly what it is. It is an airplane movie. I, mm. um, yeah. I didn't really enjoy it, but at the end of the day, I was like, it was better than sleeping for two hours. Right. What, so. <laughs> so was it a, like a, uh, a plane that showed movies and that was one of the movies to choose from, or was it a plane that didn't show movies and that's a movie that you picked like on your phone or something. It was on my flight to New Zealand. So I had a 13 okay. hour flight from LA to New Zealand and I'm like, I need to watch a lot of movies. So I watched, uh, I watched Hobbs and Shaw and gotcha. I was, I was drinking a lot of wine. So sure. As you do, I, I, I was asking cause like, I, I don't think I've ever been on a plane that had like in-flight movies. Uh, oh, I, I apologize. It was an in-flight movie is what I was trying to say. 
Right. Yeah, I, I figured that was that was what it was, but yeah, I it's either been like Southwest or Spirit for me. Like, just Oof. the give me the cheapest shit you you can possibly can. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, it's all spirit. good. But spirit, they, gross. They they get you there. Hey, like aside from the one issue that we had during our vacation a couple months ago, uh, like it was it was perfectly fine. Like no different than our an experience with like southwest or delta or you know any of the other average american airlines cool yeah i I dig it man anyways sorry (laughs) no no worries at all we deviate um so john wick was written by Derek kolstad who did another film with uh mr bob odenkirk and that was called nobody very similar to john wick also Mm -hmm. it's kind of like rinse and repeat sort of thing for mr Derek kolstad um, the cast includes Keanu Reeves, Michael Nyquist, Nyquist who died, um, I think, shortly after filming. Alfie Allen, Willem Dafoe, Adrian Palicki, Ian McShane, John Leguizamo, Lance Reddick, and Daniel Bernhardt. Daniel Bernhardt is the uh, the bad guy who who fights John Wick in the in the circle club, the red circle club. And then they have that awesome fight at the end. Well, towards the end when he. Um, his hands are tied and whatnot. And oh, he's, yeah. he, he's a good stunt performer. So it was yeah. cool that they gave him a, a, a big role. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it, this seems like the uh, the stunt performers like time to shine because I, I know that this this movie had like a bunch of stunt performers as like actual actors. Yeah. You know, regardless of how little the role was like they were actually acting instead of just like a stunt double. Totally. And we will get into that because I have mm-hmm. a lot to say about that. Yeah. So uh, for critical reception, this movie is in 86% on the tomato meter. That is quite fresh indeed. That's organic, mm-hmm. locally sourced tomatoes right there. Yeah, it is. Here are some of the reviews. So Jonathan Romney from the UK Observer says, in almost Zen-like exercise in wholesale, wholesale slaughter as abstraction. Hmm. Yep, I would say so. Who else we got? Uh, Wendy Ide from the UK Times. People in the UK are great. Says, just when you have all but given up hope for Keanu Reeves, there comes the hyper-stylized revenge movie, John Wick. And you remember what you loved about him in the first place. Sure. Um, another one from, let's see, Brent McKnight from The Last Thing I See, whatever that may be, for a duar narrative about death, loss, and violence, it's surprisingly good-natured. Okay. Yeah. I can oh, it. Mike Massey. This guy is kind of a piece at times. He's from Gone <laughs> with the Twins. Uh, we've we've definitely is, used is him. Is he from Chicago? Um, I think he's from Min- Minneapolis or yeah, Minneapolis, Twin Cities, okay. I think. Uh, but he says rock music, cold stairs, and plenty of bullets emphasize Wick's proficiency as the plot needs all the help it can to impact the coolness it desperately wants to exhibit. Oh, pish posh applesauce. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Neither do I. And I'll do one more, one negative one. So Tom Santilli from AXS.com says, John Wick is a sort of mindless movie that you get when you give two longtime stuntmen, David Leach and Chad Stahelski, the directorial reins. Okay, man. I'd like to see you direct a movie. It'd be called The Reviewer, starring Keanu Reeves. And it'd still be badass. But... Right. Yeah. So that is a critical reception. Do you have some budget information? I do have budget information. It was made uh, basically pennies on the dollars. Um, so the estimated budget was about $20 million. Uh, I'm great at math and reading numbers just printed. 
<laughs> uh, so $20 million estimated, and this was in 2014, so we're, we don't really have to adjust for inflation much. So, you know, it's basically $20 million. Um, gross in U.S. and Canada was $43 million and change. Uh, opening weekend, U.S. and Canada was uh, $14,415,922. Um, and opened on October 26th, 2014. And then the gross worldwide was 86,081,711. So uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty successful pretty, worldwide. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. What about okay. some trivia? You got some uh, fun facts for us? I do. Some FFs, fun Ooh, facts. Yeah, yes. I like that. Yes, abbreviations. Um, so according to Keanu Reeves, he did uh, about 90% of his own stunts in the film. Um, and if you pay close attention, that that's pretty apparent. Uh, director Chad Stahelski was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the Matrix movies. That's uh, that's kind of how they, well, not kind of, that's how they knew each other. And they had, uh, from what I'm given to understand, a pretty long-standing relationship um, from from those movies till up until this point. So uh, according to the director's commentary, when they shot the top-level nightclub fight sequence, Keanu Reeves had the flu and was running a 104 fever. Jeez. Yeah, <clears throat> that is nuts, uh, but I totally believe it because Keanu Reeves is a boss and a badass and a fantastic actor. And um, yeah, the normal physics and the rules of like organic uh, like body chemistry just don't apply to him. <laughs> so so yeah, um, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, so while uh, while shooting a scene with a stuntman, Michael Nyquist cut his head so badly that his ear was resting on his right shoulder. This resulted in 80 stitches. Jesus. Some of the last scenes had to be redone to hide Nyquist's scar. Man, that's nuts. It's a lot of stitches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which uh, which character or uh, yeah, which character did Michael Nyquist play? I, I can't remember. Uh, he was Vigo. Uh, oh yeah, that's the right. Russian dad, the yeah, the, the main enemy. That's right. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, last one in a in an interview with Rudy's Movie Reviews. Hmm, never heard of that one. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Kevin Nash stated he was told the reason his character Francis the Bouncer was allowed to live. Uh, oh, was allowed to live. Nash, sorry. Nash said that when Wick mentions he had lost some weight and Francis stated he had lost 60 pounds, Wick was asking in code how many hostels were in the building. Francis's reply was 60 because he provided the information to Wick he was allowed to live. Yeah. So he says 60 kilos. He's like, I lost 60 kilos. And I didn't pick up on that. So when I read that, I'm like, oh, he told him there were 60 bad guys in there. Yeah, that's wow. uh, um, I have picked up on a couple of those like little minute things that uh, just uh, after like repeated viewings, like, you, you know, you just start looking at other stuff. And um, yeah, I, I think in John Wick, too, there's a callback to like the. The, the pencil thing that they, they bring up a couple times, like he killed a man with a pencil. Um, like they, that ends up coming back around, but 
Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot more trivia where that came from and it's all like super interesting. It really is. This movie is amazing. So it really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into it for anybody who has not seen John wick. Here is a spoiler filled synopsis. So after losing his wife, Helen to a terminal illness, John Wick receives a beagle puppy named Daisy that Helen had arranged to send before she died to help him cope with his grief. Despite John's stoic demeanor, he bonds with the puppy and they spend the day driving around in his vintage 1969 Ford Mustang Mach 1. At a gas station, he encounters a trio of Russian gangsters, who that was my Russian, whose leader <laughs> Yosef insists on buying his car, which John refuses to sell or be cowed by Yosef's attempt at intimidation. That evening, the gangsters break into John's home, knock him unconscious, kill Daisy, and steal his car. Yosef uh, takes the Mustang to a chop shop to have the VIN number changed, but Aurelio, the shop's owner, recognizes the car, knowing who it was stolen from, punches Yosef, and ejects him from the facility. John visits Aurelio, who identifies Yosef as the son of Vigo Tarasov, the head of the Russian mafia in New York City. Aurelio relays Yosef's activities to Vigo, who attacks and berates Yosef before explaining to him who John Wick is, formerly in Vigo's employ, nicknamed Baba Yaga. When John wanted to retire and marry Helen, Vigo gave him an impossible task, implied to involve multiple high-level assassinations in a short period of time. To Vigo's surprise, John succeeded, and his efforts were key in establishing the Tarasov Syndicate. After warning Yosef of his impending doom, Vigo tries to talk John out of seeking retribution, but John refuses to talk. Vigo sends a team of hitmen to John's house, but John kills all of them and enlists an underworld cleaning service to dispose of the bodies and evidence. Unsurprised, Vigo places a $2 million bounty on John's privacy and personally offers the contract to John's mentor, Marcus, who accepts. John seeks assistance from the New York Continental Hotel, which caters exclusively to the criminal underworld and permits no assassinations, termed business in their language, on its premises. Vigo doubles the bounty for those willing to break the rule to kill John. Winston, the Continental's manager, informs John that Vigo has Yosef under guard at his Red Circle nightclub. John enters the Red Circle and kills a horde of Vigo's men to reach Yosef, who narrowly escapes after Vigo's lieutenant, Kirill, Kirill, thwarts his attempt and incapacitates John. John retreats to the Continental to have his injuries treated. Miss Perkins, an assassin and former acquaintance, sneaks into John's room to kill him. Marcus alerts John with a warning shot, allowing him, him to subdue Perkins, who reveals the location of Vigo's front. He knocks her unconscious and leaves her with Harry, a fellow assassin, to await punishment, but she frees herself and kills Harry. John travels to a church in Little Russia, which serves as Vigo's front, and destroys his cache of money and blackmail material. When Vigo and his henchmen arrive, John ambushes them, but is subdued and captured. Vigo taunts John for thinking that he would be able to leave his old life behind. Before John can be killed, Marcus intervenes again, allowing John to free himself, strangle Kirill to death, and accost Vigo, who reveals Yosef's location. John then travels to Yosef's safe house and kills him and his bodyguards. Perkins learns that John and Marcus have been in contact and informs Vigo, who has Marcus beaten and tortured before killing him in his home. Vigo calls John to report this, planning to have Perkins ambush him. While waiting for John, Perkins is summoned to a meeting with Winston, who has her executed for breaking the Continental's rules. Winston calls John to inform him that Vigo is planning to escape by helicopter. John races to the New York Harbor, where he kills Vigo's remaining henchmen before battling Vigo on the dock. Vigo brandishes a knife, and John allows himself to be stabbed before disarming and wounding Vigo, leaving him to die. John breaks into an animal clinic to treat his wounds and releases a pit bull puppy scheduled to be euthanized. 
John and the dog walk home along the boardwalk where he had his final date with Helen. And that is John Wick, chapter one. Bum, bum, bum. So, David, when did you first see John Wick and what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so um, I uh, I was a little late getting to the party, just, just a tiny bit. Um, I didn't see it until like maybe 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. Uh, I think it was like right after the second one came out. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I saw it then. It, it, it just... At that point in time, it came so highly recommended by everyone that uh, I was like, finally, like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Like, I had been a fan of Keanu Reeves uh, uh, up to that point, but, you know, on the surface, like, I just chalked up to just another action movie, so I wasn't in a huge rush to see it. But, like, my buddy Ted, um, who I... um, got to know really well at this point in time. And he was my co-host for the podcast for uh, a couple years. He, um, he was like, dude, no, you, you have to see it. And so I, I watched it and loved it immediately. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, you, you asked what, what my thoughts were. I loved it. Um, I, I immediately, uh, I, I think I, I might've rented it first. And then like, I, I, turn around went back out and bought like the two disc blu-ray set because <laughs> nice. at that point in time uh, only the first and second movie were out um but yeah i i love it uh, i you know obviously don't want to get too deep into to anything because we still have tons of questions to discuss you know thoughts and feelings and whatnot but yeah broad strokes purposes i fucking love this movie uh and um yeah when when chapter three came out it was probably it, it was neck and neck with uh once upon a time in hollywood like, nice i i couldn't decide which one was my favorite film of the year and so i just had to put him in a straight tie so there yeah. we go i dig it well then i'm gonna move on to that question why does this movie work so well pretty simple but why does it work so well because on the surface the plot is so basic and we have seen you know these shoot 'em up action films in the past but this movie just it's it has you know Three three films and an upcoming fourth. So why the hell does it work so well? Um, yeah, that's that's a great question, Zach. Let me answer that for you. Uh, uh, so what uh, what sets John Wick apart, like in my opinion, is that it's not really like any other action shoot 'em up movie. Like, I mean, I was just saying initially when you know when i saw the trailer and all that like it it just kind of looked like your run-of-the-mill action movie starring keanu reeves so it was probably going to be good but you know just be like eh, whatever like seven out of ten um but like you know sure revenge is not a new concept in movies but uh like it really comes down to two things in um the cinematography and the fight choreography in in my opinion um the long take shots are not something that was commonplace during this time period of filmmaking uh especially for action films um if you there i mean there's a, a famous clip that i think parallels one scene of john wick and then a scene from taken of liam neeson like jumping over a uh offense yeah and, it, and it's like thir- yeah it's like 37 <laughs> different cuts for him to get over the fucking fence yeah it's like c- come on dude um but um 
Yeah, so uh, long long take shots just weren't really a thing that happens. Um, and like you said, Keanu did most of his own stunts, which does nothing but enhance the the viewer's experience. Like when filmmakers have to use a stunt double for almost everything in that's action related for that corresponding actor, they have to use like quick shots and like, you know, shots from the back or the side, like, you know, side profile shots. uh, So you can still create the illusion that it it is that actor and not the stunt person in their place. Uh, But since we didn't have that for most of the stunt scenes for, for Reeves, um, he didn't, uh, Chad Stahelski didn't have to shoot, that way like he could do these long take shots where you could see it's keanu reeves you know with the gun like going through and and shooting one dude and then using him as a human shield to protect him from other dudes and right um so yeah it's it's like these these little details like and it's it's almost like an accident how this movie turned out so awesome because you know we were talking earlier like this movie it, it cost them 20 million to make yeah. uh and that's not a lot of money like at all like it sounds like a lot of money but it, to make a movie it is not uh and um so they you know they i believe they they shot this on film and they had to get uh like like they they did long shots because they, you know, they were restricted on time and, and film that they could use. Um, you know, and, and there's some other like little, uh, trivia factoids that I want to unleash, but if you plan on unleashing those, like, I don't want to step on your toes. So, yeah, I mean, we can, we can unleash, unleash them as we go, but I mean, I just want to, yeah, champion everything you're saying there. Mm. I'm, I'm, a sucker for for hand to hand combat films for great stunt choreography and so when I saw this movie for the first time in theaters I was like a hog and shit man I was <laughs> I was rolling around and loving it yeah um the have you ever seen the Raid Redemption yes so, I I own uh, I I got that double disc Blu Ray set yeah. to the first and second one it is ruthless it's one so of my good. one of my favorite action films just because it's such a simple plot go to point mm. A to point B basically. And then have all these amazing stunt performers do the, do what they do best. And so I really loved that. And actually, a lot of the stunt performers from the Raid Redemption were in John Wick 3. And mm-hmm. so um, I just want these people to keep getting work because stunt performers honestly should get their own damn category uh, at the Academy Awards. They That's should. a whole other discussion, but they're incredible. And so... I love that this movie works so well because they use practical effects because they're using long takes like you're saying Mm -hmm. and not to take anything away from the Bourne movies, but the Bourne movies use so many fast cuts and edits that it's hard to watch the action and you can tell that the fight scenes are heavily, heavily doctored this one, John wick, especially like the red ring club or whatever it's called red circle club. Yeah. They take the time to show that he doesn't have a thousand bullets in his, his handgun. he, shoots once he runs out of ammo while he like incapacitates someone and he takes the time to actually reload like you would reload a real gun and then he shoots him in the head mm-hmm. and normally action shoot em up films would not have that they they would have you know the guy curving the bullet around a, a, a thing or <laughs> or you know threat level midnight and people left and right <laughs> and so with the, with john wick what's so great about it is it's it for the majority it, it's it's so practical for for what they're doing he uses a lot of jujitsu he uses mm-hmm. so many hand-to-hand combat thing or tactics and it, it's it's so well done 
but yeah, I just want to champion everything you're saying. And the long take thing is, is a very good point. Yeah. Um, hey, just, Zach, uh, it's go, different. go puck yourself. <laughs> go puck yourself. <laughs> no <laughs> jokes on you. Golden face. That man was a wanted animal. <laughs> rapist. <laughs> Easily the most expensive shot in the film, <laughs> <laughs> but it was integral to the, the plot. To the plot. <laughs> So John Wick is the man you send to kill the fucking boogeyman. Mm -hmm. He is an unstoppable killing machine that will remain focused, committed, and have sheer fucking will to do what is done to eliminate his targets. So this idea of a quote unquote unstoppable killing machine, it's been done in tons of films before. So what are some of your favorite examples of these unstoppable killing machines in film? (laughs) Yeah, I really liked this question. Uh, when I read it, I was like, oh, man. And then like I sat down to to like fill it out. I was like, oh, shit. Like like it was one of those classic instances of like you have so many movies to pull from, but then they all disappear all at once. So th- this question, <laughs> yeah. t- this question took me a while to like completely you know, Phil, and it, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. I, I could only find or think of like five movies off the top of my head, um, but they're they're good ones. Um, at least I think so. Um, so we got Daesu, uh played by uh, Choi Min-sik by, uh, from uh, Old Boy. Ooh, you, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for for those of you that may not have seen uh, or heard of old boy just go watch it uh i can't speak for the american made no, version don't watch the american version <laughs> I, i've I, I at best i've heard it's mediocre uh at worst i've heard it's it's terrible um so yeah i am talking about the is it is it south korean uh, I, yes. I can't remember yes. Okay. yeah south korean uh made film it is fantastic it's also got a very notorious um one take hallway shot that <laughs> gets cited in a lot of um a- anywhere from online film making forums to filmmaking classes uh it-, it gets cited so it's a very popular shot and very good movie um hutch mansell uh played by bob odenkirk from nobody which we you know we brought up just a few minutes ago um smith uh played by clive owen from shoot Him up yeah which i i need to revisit that movie i it's been a long time since i've seen it and it's seems like it doesn't hit streaming platforms very often but uh yeah i need to check it out um and uh i got deadpool slash wade wilson from deadpool seemed like a uh, yeah you know it, that's that's not the whole movie but it's a pretty large portion you know once he escapes from his uh, his confines after he gets you know all uh burger faced and and whatnot he <laughs> he basically just goes on a uh, a hilarious killing spree and you got you just got killed by a zamboni <laughs> um and then my last one is uh i i think it's it might be more of an honorable mention. I'll, I'll let you decide, but it's Inigo Montoya from the princess bride. Now, granted the princess bride isn't filled with Inigo Montoya, just slaughtering dudes left and right, waiting to get into, get to the six figured man, six fingered man. Sorry. Um, but he is a very dedicated dude. Um, and when he does eventually meet him, spoiler alert, um, He's he's got his his greeting and and his saying down packed. So, um, yeah, those those are the ones that I could think of um, 
you know, I, I could come up with a lot more given a little bit more time, but yeah, uh, those were the ones that kind of came to my head. What about you? You got, you got a little list going. You mean, uh, Willy Wonka wasn't on your list. I mean, he was killing, <laughs> killing kids left and right. And he, he was smiling while he was doing it. So <laughs> yeah, apparently no one except for him and the film crew knew what was going to happen during that boat scene. Oh, that was that was nightmare fuel when I was a kid. I was like, "Mom, Dude, right? what am I watching?" <laughs> I hated it. Yeah, I hated it was. It. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty nuts. Yeah, no, I agree with you on uh, Inigo Montoya. I mean, he was so hyper focused on one goal, and it surprisingly didn't corrupt him as much as you would think. But in other films, we've seen that where you know anger leads to hate, hatred leads to suffering, and so on and so forth. So being that narrow-minded yeah it can be really dangerous um mm-hmm. for me my my unstoppable killing machines that i think of every single time are like the predator um uh the terminator so in terminator one and terminator two i would say t1000 basically just unstoppable killing machines jason Voorhees, for example oh uh, yeah that's a good one you know we'll get to what he's going to and he will straight up murder you um michael myers same mm-hmm. kind of thing yep so it works really well in, in horror films. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 quite crazy. Um, I would additionally say I'm trying to think there was another action film I was thinking about earlier where the the bad guy was was pretty gnarly, but I cannot remember. It escapes me and maybe I will bring it up later. But those are some of the examples that I was thinking. Right on. Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> for some reason. I thought you were only talking about action movies or maybe I just, I envisioned like, Oh, he wants action movie answers. So that's kind of what I focused on. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up some horror movie examples. That's like you said, those are great. Like horror movies are chock full of just vengeful killers that never stop because you know, you got to have sequels. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I mean, we see them in, in, in myriad of genre and stuff like that. So it's, Mm -hmm. it it can be, it can be any of them, but yeah, yeah. Good list. I dig it, man. Yeah. Okay. So one reason I absolutely adore this film is because of the use of practical effects instead of the traditional CG real actors and real stunt performers. Like we were talking about earlier, they are involved in tightly choreographed and highly elaborate fight scenes that create a wonderful viewing experience. What are your thoughts on practical effects? Do you think they are great or are they kind of a waste of time? A waste of time? (laughs) Yeah, so I I know we've had this uh, practical versus special effects discussion numerous times. Maybe not at length, but, you know, we've we've had it, uh, you know, in short bursts here and there, either on your podcast or my podcast. But, um, yes, I... I absolutely love practical effects and take them over special effects like nine times out of 10. Um, So yeah, practical effects are the opposite of a waste of time. Uh, In, uh, in especially in the horror and action genres, uh, it's been my experience that, uh, that those that leaned heavily on practical effects aged 20 times better than those who relied too heavily on special effects. Um, just because, I mean, like, sure, there are updates to the way practical effects could be done, uh, but regardless, it's still going to look great because, you know, you you had, like, prop masters and, and all kinds of other, like, practical effects artists and makeup artists, like, put things together and, you know, and... and 
you know, just make their magic. And it just, it's been my experience that that just holds up so much better. Um, and this is not shitting on special effects at all and visual effects. Like there's, there's definitely a time and place for them, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it's just been my experience that, um, the more you can incorporate practical effects and real actors doing real stunts, the better your movie is going to look, the better it's going to age. Um, cause you're not relying on like green and blue screen technology and recording on a soundstage and et cetera, et cetera. So. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to remember that, when you're the human element of, of using practical effects um, goes a lot deeper than just what you see on screen. And and me just as a cinephile, I appreciate that so much more. And so that's why things like the thing uh, from John Carpenter, 1982, mm-hmm. like that's one of my favorite films of all time because Rob Bottin did this, the practical effects for it. Um, so he did all of that. He did all the special effects, uh, built all the creatures, very Cronenberg-esque, like a disciple of Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. And it was utterly terrifying to this day. It it makes me like, I get kind of eked out. I'm like, oh God. Uh, <laughs> with, with CGI, when you start using those VFX, that's when it gets a little, you know, it can look creepy, but let's use the example of the movie Spawn. Did you see Spawn in the 90s? Those VFX were terrible and they did not age well. But then you have other movies like the Lord of the Rings that that ended up, you know, that was one of the anomalies. That one mm-hmm. still holds up so goddamn well from a movie that was made in, in, in 2000, 2001. Yeah. So um, things like that, you, you can find those diamonds in the rough, your Toy Story ones and your Lord of the Rings. But Ultimately, when you use practical effects, some of the best films we've we've had use practical effects, even Lord of the Rings, like they used VFX as a uh, as a tool, not as a crutch. Yeah. And so the majority of everything in that was shot practically. Same thing with Star Wars. The special effects in Star Wars were were all uh, little models and, and things they were blown up together and they didn't really have many VFX they could use. So you had to go practical. And I mean, it really holds up. But then when you get to the 90s and Lucas throws in some some cool CGI, you know, Jabba the Hutt, it kind of it kind of cheapens the experience a little bit. You know what, though? Some of it's not too bad. It, it, it looks pretty good when you when you update the times. It's like throwing on a new a new coat of paint on your house, basically. Right. Yeah, for sure. But I am I'm a sucker for practical effects. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why I love the Nolan. That's why I love Nolan films in general. But the, oh, that's why yeah. the Dark Knight's like one of my favorites ever because it's just so practical. Yeah, I mean, in in Tenet, didn't he actually run uh, like a a real airplane into yeah. a fucking building? <laughs> yeah. Like, like that. I, I I I forget how much that cost, but I remember reading it and realizing that it was like the same amount as the whole movie. Oh my like, god. <laughs> like it was the same amount as like the movie budget itself like it was is ridiculous but um, it reminds me of that episode of the simpsons where they make the radioactive man movie and they they are gonna flood the nuclear power plant with like sulfuric acid and they go this is easily the most expensive shot of the film and we only get one take so let's not mess this up and (laughs) millhouse is nowhere to be found and so the water comes at Rainier Wolf Castle and he puts on his goggles and he's like, the goggles are doing nothing. <laughs> so they completely ruin the entire scene because, 
yeah, it's it's the, the plane scene, but it ended up working out really well. Obviously, they had a lot of time to prep for it, and it was a cool scene in Tenet. I actually liked Tenet. A lot of people yeah. didn't, but... Yeah, I liked it pretty good. It's yeah. uh, it's not my fav- favorite Nolan film, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty high up there. Um, yeah. They just uh, they released that short teaser for Oppenheimer the other day. Did you see that? I saw it when I saw Nope. I saw the teaser. I thought oh, they did yeah. a, re- a really good job with it, so I'm, I'm intrigued by it, and uh, it should be awesome. I yeah. love that, that Killian Murphy. So. Yeah. So, David, could you imagine a world where this movie, John Wick, where it flopped? And no. like I said earlier, oh, no. <laughs> the, the <laughs> Next plot, question. The plot is pretty basic. So, like, in what ways could this movie potentially have uh, failed, hypothetically? Yeah, so um, I, I definitely could imagine a world where this movie flopped or just didn't do as well. Um, I feel like if it had not literally anyone else but chad stahelski and keanu reeves at the helm but yeah like anyone else like if they you know gave this to like a uh, a gun for hire director where you know it, it was just a script that was floating around hollywood for you know a decade and they finally decided to make it because someone needed some money uh or someone wanted to cash in a favor but yeah i i i mean this was it just, it really seemed like a passion project, like that something that they really wanted to get done and just a, a dream team of filmmakers and stunt people and, uh, and actors. Uh, another major factor was the budget, uh, or lack thereof. Like if this movie had a huge budget, uh, and maybe a, a different, uh, director and cast, like they could have angled it to be like a cash grab. Um, but the restrictive budget, you know, I talked about this a few minutes ago, the restrictive budget, in my opinion, actually ended up uh, playing in favor of the film's quality. You know, they, <clears throat> that happens a lot with, you know, just not just movies, but, you know, a lot of stuff in life. Like you, you don't have a lot of resources or funds or something to make it work. So you get creative. And a lot of the times those things end up like paying off and, and more so like they, they go to enhance your project. And I, I think that's exactly what happened here. So it, it was almost felt like capturing lightning in a bottle almost. Um, yeah. But uh, except they caught lightning in a bottle like twice more and I'm hoping a fourth <laughs> time. So uh, yeah, like I said, I, I can definitely imagine a world where this movie flopped, but not with the, the this particular um, cast and crew. So it definitely could have flopped with the original plan of the original story of John Wick being in his like 60s. Mm. Uh, I mean, you're doing a whole other old man takes revenge story. So enter your your Charles Bronson stories, enter your Liam Neeson, Mm -hmm. every movie he's done since taken sort of thing. Um, And then additionally, you have that movie called that show called The Old Man on on Hulu. I'm sure it's great. I love Jeff Bridges. And again, all of those actors are solid, but it gets really tired um, and I, I'm tired of the, the old, you know, assassin thing, even the movie red, like the movie red with Bruce Willis oh, and, and yeah. the, you know, the, the retired assassins. And I'm like, okay, it's been done before. <clears throat> and this Keanu's not that old. He's like 50 or something like that. And so to see him vulnerable in a time like this, where he can still do things. And he's like, I've been retired for four or five years. 
it, it, it just, it just works, right? Like he's, he's too young to be retired, but he's, he's too old to do some of the crazy shit he used to do. So it just really, they found, found the, the proper frequency they needed to be on in my opinion. Right. Yeah. So, 100%. Yeah. Cool. Well, and I feel that the best aspect of John Wick uh, is just the immense world building that occurs throughout the movie. There's little to no exposition on on why things are the way that they are in this underground assassin society. But instead, brilliantly, we are just forced to accept that this is the reality. This is the way that things things occur in, in John Wick. So how did you feel about this? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Like plain and simple. Um, I. Uh, I'm not a nowadays. I'm not super harsh on movies uh, just in general. Like I, I tend to give a lot of leeway, um, but when it comes to exposition, like I'm, I'm pretty critical. So if you have like a huge exposition dump that feels super awkward and it's like, yeah, we have a lot to explain. So we're just going to carve out this period of time for this actor to explain something that's going to feel really weird and uncomfortable, but we got to get it over with like, like fucking figure something else out then. Um, but yeah, like I, like they, they just kind of like eased you into this world and didn't beat you over the head with like nomenclature and stuff that like they wanted you to learn. Like they just kind of let you learn a little bit as you go, which ended up paying off dividends because they, you know, they got green light for a second and third and fourth movie. And so they can start expanding on that, that world. So, you know, it actually played in their favor to not really spill the beans um, in the, in the first one, just, completely explain the entire, you know, underground hitman club that, that they got going on. Um, you know, with the, the fake money where it's all in gold coins and Lance Reddick is a fucking badass, And, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, everyone wants to be friends with, uh, with, um, what's his name? The Winston, the, hotel, Winston, the hotel owner, Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan, you know what I said about business on continental grounds, man. Ian McShane is great. Love he, that dude. He is so good. Um, yeah, I, I almost said like captain Barbosa. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and Lance Reddick is from the wire also. So right, I always yeah. think of the wire, but I love Lance Reddick. He's, he's great in this movie too. Yeah, he and his like I loved how they amplified his role at, like going forward. Yeah. Like I think they give him a little bit more to do in John Wick 2 and then in chapter 3, like yeah. you know, he has the <laughs> the the uh the scene in act 3 with John Wick and I was like, "Yes, go shoot some guns." He just takes his jacket off. He's like, he just grabs a shotgun. He's like, "Yeah, I need more." And Wick is just like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> they they go back to base and they're like armor piercing rounds and he's like armor piercing rounds. yeah he's like he's like 12 gauge steel slug armor piercing and i'm yeah, like that's oh right. boy yeah that's a brutal scene but yeah. i agree so like the exposition is done so well it's treated so respectfully in this film mm-hmm. and i don't think they were thinking sequels when they first made this movie because that's what you shouldn't you should never do that when you make a film and as much as i'm a huge batman fan the dceu has been absolutely terrible they are always looking for, hey, we're going to make a sequel. Hey, we're going to make, you know, an expanded universe from from this movie. And so 
comic book movies that get it you you can you have a little more wiggle room with but not every film needs to make sure that that they are going to expand on things and and like Jurassic World Dominion I fucking hated it was terrible <laughs> and I love Jurassic Park but they left it so and I apologize for anybody who likes it but but whatever um they left it so open ended to where they they knew it's like when you're watching it at the end, you know that they're going to make a sequel to it eventually. Mm-hmm. And so with John Wick, you kind of have that. There's some sort of sense of finality in it. But things like the coins, they never are like, oh, hey, yeah, that's worth one hundred dollars USD or something like that. It's right. just a here's three coins. I don't know what the denomination is or why this costs what it costs or what they even do. Because they still have money in that world. Like Vigo has coins, but he wants money as well, like cash. Right. So that kind of shit's amazing. Just the idea, the introductions of of, of John Wick where Jimmy, the cop, shows up and he's like, hey, John, you working again? And (laughs) you can tell on his face he's terrified of John, but he's like, we're in a good position where I let him do his thing because I know what kind of guy he is and I'll just make sure that everything's cool. And then same thing with everybody who... He runs into when he when he sees people and they're like, Mr. Wick, so great to see you. I thought you were re- retired, right? Or are you are you back working again? Everybody keeps saying that in John Wick. And he's like, no, I'm just uh, just just, you know, visiting. Mm-hmm. And Winston tells him, he's like, you better be careful because if you dip a pinky toe in, then you then you're in this life can be seductive. Yeah. So I that's what's so brilliant to me. And one of the, the best as, aspects of John Wick is you can just build and build and build off of this storyline. And I think it's it's utterly simple yet utterly beautiful and so furthermore i would like to discuss the continental hotel they're actually spinning off a continental tv show Mm -hmm. where they can dive into maybe more of the history of it and and uh, have little sub subplots and whatnot so i'm intrigued on that but did the continental work for you or was it a little too absurd considering these are like all assassins out for money and if i have my hit right there my mark right there why the fuck wouldn't i just kill him and get the job done Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a valid point. But honestly, like, I I loved the idea of the Continental, like a just a neutral, um, a neutral ground for everyone. Like, as soon as you step foot in there, like, all qualms are temporarily put aside. There's no, you know, bashing each other's heads in like it's it's supposed to be a a location of mutual respect uh, for everyone uh, that, you know, there's just like, this is the one place you don't do business, Um, you know, and and we're not going to kill each other. It's almost like making sure that we, it's kind of like having a code, right? Like (laughs) Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are (laughs) rules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Is that from the big Lebowski? Oh, yeah. you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> give us the money, Lebowski. The money, Lebowski. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, so, you know, we're already introduced to this absurd world where this, you know, retired hitman avenges the death of his doggy with very little background info to go on. So why not have this super dope flat iron hotel reserved for contract killers, but killing on grounds is forbidden? Um and additionally, I just like the idea of all these hitmen exchanging small pleasantries with each other on the grounds, but would put a bu- bullet in your skull in any other situation. It's just, just super fun. Yeah, the idea of rules is so interesting because, you know, 
we don't know what an assassin assassin's life would be like. And so to fantasize in a, in a negative sense, to fantasize about this where you have controlled chaos is so fascinating and it, mm-hmm. you don't know how deep it runs because if you have this establishment like the continental that can, that can reel you in and rain down any type of uh, urges you have where it's like, everyone knows the rules you know, this lane, you got to go 60 miles per hour. If you go 65 or if you put a toe out of line, then you're assassinated. You're killed by the hotel. So it's so fascinating. Or, hey, you want to get like, I'll go back to the coin thing. You want a gold coin? Sweet. Yeah, I do anything for a gold coin. And my my theory on the coins is that they are about favors. So when you have a coin, it's like, well, this is the accepted currency in the sense of like, this is a big deal and you owe me a favor. So whoever can collect the most coins, whoever has a lot of coins, has a lot of power. And I think that's where that comes from. Obviously, you can't go buy a hot dog or a newspaper with a gold coin. But um, <laughs> in, in the assassin world, it's like it's a pretty big deal to get a coin. But but that's the beauty of it is they never explain it necessarily in the films other than in the third one where he kind of talks about where um, Brom from Game of Thrones, he talks about how it's it's like power basically and Mm -hmm. it's in so i think that's that's what's so cool but this movie can just they just tell the viewer to accept what you see on screen and you accept it and it is so great and and you even accept the uh the things that are a little outlandish and far-fetched like john wick being thrown off of a second story and landing flat on his back in the nightclub and then just getting up and being okay (laughs) i mean you have to suspend disbelief, of course, because, right. you know, he kills like 60 people in that scene. But it's still remarkable to watch. And I know it's a movie and that's what I like to escape with. Um, it's not like Jurassic World Dominion, but <laughs> which is terrible if I didn't say it before. So well, that was yeah. that was the new run, new one. Yeah, right? the newest okay. one. And I felt like I wasted every dollar that I spent to go to that theater in IMAX. So I'll, I'll still uh, <sighs> I'll still end up seeing it. But I, I think it's it's at least out on digital yeah, right now. Yeah, I, Just wait until it's streaming for free. Do not spend your money. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Damn. Do not spend your money. I actually. So like, um fallen kingdom the first time i saw that i was like this movie is like eight hours long but it's sec- so long <laughs> yeah th- but the second time i watched it i was like i actually kind of like this movie no like, get it, out of here david <laughs> it's 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 not it's not good it's not great but like i i still found some enjoyment out of it but i don't know I, i'm just a sucker for dinosaur movies so well then you're gonna hate dominion because there's like two minutes of dinosaurs in the entire film. Oh my God. Anyways, really? I won't, I won't get into that too much, but yeah. So the continental really did work for me and mm-hmm. um, yeah, same. So, same. you know, we all get older. I am 35 years old. Uh, I'm starting to feel aches and pains in my body, sort of kind of, but for actors like Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves, they seem to have missed that memo. Both actors have shown us over the decades, what it takes to create a great action film. They train vigorously in order to create masterful action films for us uh, to see. It is quite phenomenal that they legit are performing the the majority of their own stunts at their ages. The question I want to ask you, David, is why are we not seeing this much anymore with the younger generational actors? We talked about the VFX and the special effects, but maybe I'm wrong. But who else can you name that is like a Keanu or Tom in their respective action film craft? Uh, so yeah, this was a, uh, this was a good question. Um, I'm not going to claim to understand the inner workings of Hollywood and all that. Um, So this is 
a little bit of a shot in the dark. Um, obviously, it's incredibly difficult to be in that great a shape when you're, you know, pushing 50 or over 50. So I'm sure that there's like a quote unquote plan that a lot of actors have or start to follow when they get a little bit older, um, where, where they pivot to other roles such as comedy, drama, suspense, horror, etc. Um, AKA roles that might not be as physically demanding. Um, so in short, like it takes, like you said, it takes like a really special, really dedicated person to pull off roles like Ethan Hunt or John Wick. Um, like you just, you have to be prepared to bring it. Um, you don't have to be method by any stretch, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. Um, I know my my thoughts were relatively brief, so I but. I just can't think of any younger actors. And I'm looking at the Chris Pratt's because I can't stand Chris Pratt. But I'm looking at him. Um, I mean, even I'm just thinking of topical movies right now. Um, uh, Chris Hemsworth in his Love and Thunder. He did do a good job in what was the movie on Netflix that everyone was raving about. Um, I didn't see it, but I saw a bunch of breakdowns on it. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? It was, uh, you said it had Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I'm just gonna look it up real quick. Was a, uh, it, it wasn't um, wasn't Gray Man, was it? No, no, no. That's uh, that has Chris uh, Chris Chris Pon- or Evans. Chris Evans yeah. and uh, Ryan Gosling. That's right. Um, yeah, it was uh, Extraction. That's right. Did you ever see Extraction? Uh, no, I think I heard good things though. I, I don't know. There's just yeah. so, so much fucking content and I've been reading of all things. So, yeah. And and so, you know, there is there is a decent amount of CGI in it, but he does a lot of the hand to hand combat, which is great. And so I'll take that. Um, but even looking at this trailer, there's a lot of cuts in a, in a certain fight scene. Um, so he does what he can. So I'll give him I'll give him credit in that sense. But I mean, I haven't really found a younger actor who is able to do the stuff that Tom and Keanu are doing. And maybe it's their stubbornness in the sense of old Hollywood, where we're going to try what we can, the Buster Keaton style action or the Jackie Chan stuff. Jackie Chan is the master of stunt work, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. his, his idol was Buster Keaton. And so seeing when I was a kid watching Jackie Chan movies, I I remember watching legend of drunken master or, or rumble in the Bronx and just being like, how is he doing this? And then my favorite thing at the end of those was seeing all the outtakes where you're like, holy shit, he actually broke his foot for that. So it's it really adds to the film. And like I said earlier um, at the start of the show, where I look at the craft of practical effects and the craft of the stunt workers, and I'm like, give these people more films to work on because they are incredible. They put their bodies on the line. They train for hours to remember movements. And it's unreal. Charlize Theron in, in uh, Atomic Blonde kicked mm-hmm. ass. And one of the best scenes I've seen in a movie in the past decade was that hallway fight scene with her. She yeah. beats the shit out of those guys and she takes a beating and it is so well choreographed. And you know that she trained very hard for it. And even Halle Berry in John Wick 3 uh, she oh, yeah. trained she trained for a good like seven months with uh, jujitsu and, and gun control and also uh, the dog work like to work with the dogs. Yeah. And I thought that was unreal. And you can really see that in, in, in a film. You can see when it's unfiltered, unedited, that someone is actually putting the time into their craft. And I mean, you know, if I'm going to go buy a 
a, a tumbler coffee mug. I don't want to just go get one from Target. I want to go to the Geek Garage and buy a cool <laughs> one that has a Batman logo and says Zach on it. Because that's right. the, the time and effort that was put into that is great. And where can I buy those Geek Garage tumblers, you say? Oh, Geek Garage gear on the Etsy store. And uh, yeah, they're great. You should check it out. They have lots of fun things. I think Stranger Things was taken down, but uh, you have a couple <laughs> other ones. I, so. I, have, I have one Stranger Things one left up, and it's only because it's not directly using the stranger things logo like it's a kind of a play on the logo but it's it's part of like a uh, artist illustrated poster so yeah, yeah. That's, that's a story in and of itself <laughs> separate separate tirade that you do not want to get me started um but yeah i mean you you make some good points I, i'm wondering if like these uh, the younger generation actors just have like top-notch representation as far as like their their um not promoters but uh uh like their pr people and and managers and stuff where they're like my my guy is not going to get hurt like he will be in your movie but he's not going to do any like physical acting or like (laughs) maybe (laughs) or yeah or maybe the actor just refuses like because i mean if you get hurt during a movie like you know, that's downtime for the movie. That's downtime for you. Um, you know, the, the insurance for you and the movie goes up, uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of reasons why, you know, certain actors leave it to the, the professionals, the professional stunt people to, to do the, the stunt work. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just fucking looks better when, the actors can do a lot of the stunt work themselves that way you know anytime there's a fight scene it doesn't have to be shot from behind so you don't notice that it's the stunt person and it doesn't take you out of the movie but yeah um i mean i guess i I just kind of thought about it too i guess uh tom holland and spider-man he actually did a lot of his own stunts he is a trained uh, um, gymnast, a- acrobat, and gymnast, and mm-hmm. like he was Billy Elliot and stuff in the in the uh, West End production. But he really can do like the Spider Man pose, and he's in incredible shape when you watch behind the scenes videos. So that's pretty awesome. Christian Bale too. I know in the Batman films he did a lot of his uh, choreography, so I thought that that was great choreography in the sense of fighting choreography. Um, so a huge fan of that, but. That's about I mean, he's even not he's not a younger generation, but I'm thinking Tom Holland is one of the only ones I can really think of. Yeah, I I feel like Tom Holland, like just all the way through his acting career, I I think he's going to be a huge proponent for doing his own stunts. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the the notorious video of him doing his reading for Spider-Man like he didn't have the gig yet. Like they just had him come in and wear like the homemade Spidey suit. And he was like, do you want to, do you want me to like flip in? And they were like, sure. I I don't know what that means, but go ahead. And like, he flips in, like (laughs) does a real life, like front flip into the scene. And like, they throw him cap shield and he's like, Hey cap, I got your shield. And like the whole cast is just like, what the fuck just happened? There's a dude here and he's doing his own stunts. Yeah. Apparently that got him the job like on the spot. So yeah, no, I mean, it's great. And and I would love to see that more. It's just unfortunately, it's 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 a dying art. And it's uh, it's 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 fascinating, man. I, I guess yeah. we'll uh, we'll see. But yeah, we'll see. Um, so did John Wick change the action genre? 
That's a question. And then furthermore, why do modern action films kind of suck? <laughs> Um, so I'm not sure if changed the action genre, uh, is, is correct or accurate, but it certainly upped the ante and the expectations that I and other moviegoers have of their action flicks. Uh, one big reason, at least for me, that, uh, dictates a not so great action film is when none of it is shot on location. Uh, I talked a little bit about this earlier, uh, but when almost the entirety of a film is either shot on a soundstage or in a back lot in Hollywood or Georgia, you're not off to a great start. Um, I understand that you can't do everything with practical effects and you can't shoot on location everywhere, but like you, you just cheapen your film when like you do everything on a soundstage or like you, you don't do anything. You don't film any of it on location or, or at least like try and make it look like, you know, actual place like uh, better call Saul. Like I can't remember it, but we talk about better call Saul all the time, but I can't remember if we've talked about this specific instance, you know, they, they do the best of both worlds. Like they, for every season they've shot in Albuquerque, where the show takes place and they did the same thing for breaking bad, but they will actually, so they'll go out in the desert, but they'll bring a giant green screen so that they can like mix like the onset location with like, if they have to drop in like some, you know, majestic clouds, like they can do that. So they have like the actual desert plus like, you know, their own dictated dedicated background. Um, so you know, I think as long as like films and TV shows, like they do a little bit like that, like they're okay. But you know, if they film everything on a soundstage, like that's just, that fucking sucks. Um, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and like you specifically stated, why do modern action films kind of suck? Like, I'm curious to hear what action films in particular you, you might be you might have in mind. So maybe as I've gotten older, I've become more cynical or maybe the fact that I just, I, I watch a lot of movies. I'm not saying, saying I'm all encompassing and I know everything about film. I'm far from that, but I can make up my mind pretty quick when I see a trailer that I'm like, that doesn't look like a good movie. Mm. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't like an action film when they just gender swap just to make money. Like I'm look, I'm all about equal rights. I'm a feminist. I, I believe in all that. But when you clearly make something just to make money, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Unless you're bringing yeah. something new to the table. Why do you have to do it? And mm -hmm. when you see or, or like a remake, no matter what the gender is that they're they have in the film, when you have a remake and if you see the trailer and it just looks like it's so goddamn cheesy and it's so unnecessary that really takes me away. Um, the gray man, I, the new film on Netflix with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. I watched a trailer for it and I was like, I feel like if you cut the faces out of Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, you could put any other, uh, celebrity in there, any of the Chris's, the Hemsworth, the Pines, the Pratt's, and it would look like every movie they've done. Look at Chris Pratt's movie on Amazon Prime, whatever that stupid thing is called, uh, The Terminal List. I have zero desire to watch it because it looks like the same plot. 
of, of pretty much every movie I've every action movie I've seen. And I, I could probably wager what's going to happen throughout the film without even seeing it. And that's what drives me crazy. And at least with John Wick, you I mean, you know, like, yeah, he's he's not going to die. It's not they're not going to flip the script too much on that. But they do a really fun job of starting the film from the end, which is always a cool trope with me. That's a very Tarantino thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the hell's going on? And then, oh, my God, it's a cute dog. Oh, my God, it just got killed. <laughs> and then you, you continue on. And you're like, holy shit. Obviously, John Wick is not just a humble man. He is a feared Baba Yaga. Yeah. And, and, and so and I think Vigo says it the best. And my one of my favorite parts in this movie is when Aurelio, when Vigo calls Aurelio, he's like, did you strike my son? He's like, yes, sir, I did. And he goes, he stole John Wick's car. And then Vigo just goes, oh, and then he hangs up. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts. Like, it, like he was initially calling him to, you know, bitch him out about like, uh, you know, slapping the shit out of his son. But then he realized he had bigger fish to fry. Because, I mean, at that point, he's like, fuck. Well, you, never mind. John Wick. And he's like, oh, my God. So... I think the beauty of that is we are all just like, okay, that subverted our expectations of what was going to happen for a typical action film. Mm-hmm. And clearly this John Wick is uh, someone we we should have forced to be reckoned with. And so I, I think, you know, for everything that we said before with the practical effects, with the, 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 the limited exposition, with the world building, um, and then just with the, the, the stunt work and, and the, the craft to it and, the simplicity of the story, it works so well. It's not a convoluted plot that is globetrotting that we have to try to pay attention to too much. They do a very good job of keeping it pretty grounded. And even in the second and third, they start to stray a little bit, but it's still pretty streamlined and you kind of figure it out. And they're at the heart of it, they're just revenge stories. Um, But then they start to kind of develop a little more. So I guess we'll see what happens in the fourth. But modern action films just don't really know how to capture that spark, how to capture that spark of something new. And so one of the greatest action films of all time, Terminator 2. Argue with me if you want to, but better than the first one, in my opinion. The first one was awesome. Terminator Mm -hmm. 2 went to an 11, right? Yeah, no arguments here. So that movie could have been like, sweet, what we'll do is we'll just rehash a lot of the same shit from the first movie and then redo it. But what they did is they're like, no, 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 let's flip the script. Let's get a higher budget. Let's make the Terminator actually a good guy. And then it's it was unreal. And and talking about uh, VFX, that movie holds up even now. And that was 1992. Mm-hmm. I mean, that movie holds up now. And so that's what I'm talking about is that's how you shift the, 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 the genre for like as much as people talk shit about Michael Bay. He knows what he is and he knows what he does. Right. And and, and like it really works for his type of movie. Ambulance. So like, dude. Yeah, I'll pass. That was a movie <laughs> when I saw the trailer. I was like, nope, I know exactly what's going to happen. This is yeah, this looks terrible. I, I think the last movie that I saw of his that I was like. Yeah, that's pretty good. Was uh, was Pain and Gain? Did you see that? one? I enjoyed Pain and Gain. It was yeah. it was a departure from what he typically does. Right. Yeah. It was. It felt more of like a a heist type of a film. It did. Yeah. It definitely uh, did. But uh, you know, it, it had like sort of sort of kind of non typical characters. Um, it it was also following uh, what I believed was a, a true story. Uh, or at least a partially true story. So, um, 
So yeah. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, it's it's you know he knows what he's doing. He knows what kind of kind of action films, and his get his get boring at times for sure. But he definitely changed up the genre quite a bit when he did like The Rock and Armageddon. Right? He, it was right. they they redefined, and and he's he's a master craft in that because he knows what puts butts in the seats, and he makes popcorn flips or flicks. Mm-hmm. So I just I guess I'm just kind of tired of the same Amazon Prime Hulu. Uh, Netflix movies that are being pumped out. There are some diamonds in the rough. I'm not going to shit talk them because I don't make film. Um, sure. But some of them I'm like hard pass. I won't even spend the time of day. Yeah. So yeah, cool. For sure. So one thing that Vigo quotes, he says this to John. He says, people don't change. You know that times they do. That's a pretty intense quote. So is Vigo correct by saying this? Can people truly change the way they are or do we always revert to our old ways? Well, baby, season change, but people don't. I'll always be waiting in the back room. Um, bo- Sorry, I uh, had to throw in some fallout. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> flash, 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 photography. But don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's one of my favorite fallout boy albums. Um. Uh, talk about a blast from the past anyways uh so yeah this is definitely a loaded question but um i'll answer it uh as honestly as i can uh with with my shitty ass opinions uh uh, so i think people have the potential to change um I have personally witnessed a few of my friends change so much that we no longer have anything in common and have no reason to hang out or talk anymore. Um, Like we'll still be Facebook friends, but like one of my friends, obviously not naming names. um, Like we were roommates for like a year, year and a half um, in our formative years. Like I, uh, I was taking a break from college and, um, yeah. And, and so we were just roommates in, in our early twenties and we were practically the same person. Uh, but like he went to, he went to school to, to be a priest and yeah, like he is so different. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, on the other hand, like, yeah, I, I think it's much more common to, uh, to, for us to at least attempt to make some sort of change, but end up reverting back to former behaviors and whatnot, just because it's so much easier. It's so more, so much more difficult to, to change. Like if you're actively trying to change for the better or just, you know, be something different, like, you know, it's like you're, you're going against the grain, you're, you're swimming upstream. So yeah, I I think people have the potential to change, but it is far more common to, have people not change to say the same person or to attempt to change, but to uh, be unsuccessful. And yeah. And I agree. And I think that, you know, people can change aspects of, of who they are. You know, maybe they go to bed earlier or they are better financially or something like that. But at the core, there are, innate behaviors that you maybe won't be able to, to change necessarily because you, mm-hmm. you just lived your entire life that way. And I think that's a, a theme that they, they ingrained in this film when Vigo says that that has expanded on the, the following subsequent films because John, no matter what he does and, and everyone warns him, even Winston is like, you better be careful, Jonathan, because once you get in this, it's really hard to get out and you are already out. 
And we see, you know, the actions and the consequences very much like the Merovingian from from uh, from the Matrix, you know, cause and effect. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's inevitable. And we see that occur all the damn time. And so that's what is continuing to happen is, is this is starting to snowball for John where he I understand he was grieving. I understand that he wanted revenge, but it's 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 a dish best served cold and it doesn't really pay off for you in the end right so the 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 eye for an eye i don't remember the bible verse but eye for an eye leaves someone blind or something like that um i'm not smart but uh <laughs> the, I, I well think that, speaking as someone who went to catholic school there you go i also do not remember <laughs> it, and i uh, or wasn't the the gandhi quote like an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind there you but go that's I, I don't you were quoting the bible it was like an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth I something think. like that yeah pretty much and and i guess so what i'm trying to get at is is people in their at their core i don't think can change and i know that sounds pessimistic or cynical but time and time again like i'll use dating as an example I'll be incredibly vulnerable everyone who listens to the show knows that i've gone up and down <laughs> with dating and it's really hard. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's really hard in the year 2022 to mm -hmm. to date. Um, I'm a little stubborn in the sense of I know what I want, but I don't think it's too stubborn because I'm not willing to sacrifice certain aspects of myself to try to make something work, to try to fit a square peg into a round hole sort of situation. And so um, I think that you can definitely amend things or, or become easier with certain settings, but you need to realize that you are who you are. Better Call Saul, without giving any spoilers for anything, the entire show is showing us that Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Jimmy McGill, he's the same person, and mm -hmm. you want him to change so badly, and I guess we'll find out what happens, but you want him to change so badly, but at the core, it's who he is, and that's what Vigo tells John. He's like, we don't change. The times change, but we don't change. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, for uh, sure. that's, uh, that's what I'm thinking, man. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Sounds well, the, the final question I have for you is the teaser trailer for John Wick Four, the fourth installment in the John Wick universe, the JWU. Uh, it recently released, and oh boy, does it look fun! I had a mm -hmm. fun time watching it. I watched it three times. Yeah. And while I'm overly excited for the fourth chapter in this saga, as well as the eighth installment of Mission Impossible, which is a two-parter, by the way. Yeah. I, I do have to ask, though, when is enough enough for these films? So for you at one point or at what point, I'm sorry, do the sequels and franchise need to end? And is this an impossible question? A Mission Impossible question? Oh, oh I see what you did there. Oh. Um. So I think this question took me the longest to answer. Like I just <laughs> sat there and fucking looked at it. I was like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to come up with an answer. Uh, but I did. Um, it, I'll let you be the judge on how fucking good it is. But um, so I actually think about this a lot with you know uh, all kinds of movie franchises, but. Uh, none of the middle ground stuff. I only think about it with the really good franchises and really bad. Like they could have stopped making the, the fast and furious movies like eight years ago, but they keep making them. And like I said, I'll keep going to see them, but like they haven't gotten any better. Like, you know, uh, 
of, of course, you know, Paul Walker, his untimely death, that didn't do them any favors. But uh, yeah, and, and then you have the great franchises like Mission Impossible. There has not been a bad Mission Impossible movie. I um, agree. There has not been a bad John Wick movie. Um, so for me personally, there, you know, there's plenty of franchises out there that as long as they keep making them and the the actors and directors involved seem to be enjoying it and they're not just going in as uh, like a cash grab i'm i'm fine with it you know make the movies until the cows come home just be careful be safe don't do it for a cash grab like don't do it for the money just like do it because you really enjoy this franchise and and want to make the franchise even better than it was before. So that's, that's kind of my half-assed opinion is, you know, just like I'm for the most part, like I, it's kind of an open-ended deal. Like, you know, you there enough doesn't have to be enough. Uh, but like, I will say the Hobbit didn't need to be three movies. No, not at all. Um, oh my God. <laughs> like you maybe could have gotten, uh, like a part one and two out of it, but yeah, like it, that didn't need to be three movies. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I actually cannot stand the Hobbit movies. I yeah. might try to rewatch them again to see if it'll change my mind. But it's like when I try tomato juice every year and I'm like, I'm going to like it at a certain point. But every time I drink it, I gag and I'm like, oh, God, uh, <laughs> that'll be the Hobbit for me. But you're spot on. I, I think I, the answer from my answer for when is enough enough for Mission Impossible and John Wick? Never. Um, <laughs> I want them to continue. <laughs> And I am so invested into these worlds and Mission Impossible is like a fine wine. It just keeps getting better with age. Mm -hmm. I want Tom Cruise to perform stunts until he's 80. I, I cannot wait. Uh, they've introduced a lot of different ideas and characters that have worked so well in the espionage game, which is so fascinating the direction they've taken the film from a small espionage movie in mission impossible one, which is a departure from pretty much anything that you'd see now, like in ghost protocol or mm -hmm. in fallout. It's, it's utterly insane. And I would wager that fallout is maybe the best one of the series and it's the most recent one. Yeah. So that's what I mean. And, and like John wick two, it, they did the rare thing of making a sequel almost better than the first mm -hmm. uh, it's up for discussion third one same kind of thing absolutely loved it just mind-boggling uh it boggles the mind and <laughs> boggles so the mind. so I, I i will be okay with them continuing these as long as it works as long as they're introducing new things i love fast and fear and fast and the furious but it has started to decline substantially <laughs> for me and the only I mean thing they went to fucking space this well, last movie. Kind of. And the only thing that's that's bringing it down for me or that's keeping it alive for me, I should say, are the memes. So all the family <laughs> stuff and like the Olive Garden when you're here, your family. <laughs> uh, it's 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 just uh, that's what's keeping it alive. But man, they're pretty terrible. And F9, I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. This is really bad. It was really bad, David. I was like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it was uh, it was in fact not great. Um, no. <laughs> I like so like when I heard that Vin Diesel like was public publicly stating like, "Come on, 
Dwayne, let's let's squash this beef. Let's get you back on board with this franchise. I was like, please, dear God, yes. Like, please have The Rock come back on board because, like, especially since Paul is gone, like, I, I feel like, you know, The Rock and Paul are not the same person, but no. just, just having, like, another, like, different dynamic um, is just... I don't know. It is better for those movies. And yeah, that, that last one was, it was not good. Um, and <laughs> John Cena, you're better than that. You, you more than made up for it with, uh, with peacemaker. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> so finally, David, can you rank the John wick movies in your favorite order? And then also, do you have any favorite scenes, lines, or characters from the first film? Sure. Uh, so, the uh john wick chapter three is definitely my favorite out of the three uh one and two go back and forth um as of right now it has to be three one and two but by like a nose hair uh like like i said one and two they're they're, i don't know they're almost equal in my book but you know one it's the original so it's it's kind of hard to put the original last so um but it's you know it's like picking the best of your children like you know (laughs) how how are you gonna make me how are you gonna make me do that um but uh honestly the uh, the very first action sequence is the best like when they attempt to nuke john wick in his house like just uh just come in in the middle of the night and shoot him like why they thought that would fucking work is beyond <laughs> me like <laughs> i i don't understand but that that whole scene was amazing um especially before that like when when uh vigo was given the voiceover and you see john wick like with the sledgehammer like busting through his uh his basement floor and getting his, uh, his monies and his guns and ammo uh, all back out. Uh, the bathhouse scene is great. Like him just going in and everyone's like, Oh my fucking God, it's John wick. <laughs> um, and, uh, a couple of, uh, or one or two non-action scenes and sequences. Like I love the, I don't know if you call it a twist, but you know, there, there's a certain point where, uh, where it turns out Marcus is actually just been monitoring John Wick and <clears throat> he refuses to give him up. And so they beat the shit out of him. Uh, but you know, during the, the initial consultation, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll kill John Wick because I was his mentor. And if there's anyone here that could do it, it's probably me. Um, but, uh, then you find out that it, uh, it wasn't, uh, he he did he had no such intentions of doing that um john rescuing the pit bull at the end that was really sweet and then one small thing that i really liked was uh, or is uh, this gets repeated throughout the whole franchise but the uh, the be seeing you line like it, it's yeah. fun and it kind of has one of those like honor among thieves vibes to it like I don't know. They they all say it to each other, and it it kind of feels like their their version of Alvita Sen. Like <laughs> like, <laughs> like even like they're, they're stabbed in the heart, and they're like, 
come back here john wick like um be seen yeah it's like yeah yeah, where in hell bitch like (laughs) (laughs) no you won't (laughs) he walks away yeah um so yeah those are just uh you know a splash in the bucket of what i find amazing uh about this film hell yeah how about you yeah, I, so I, I echo pretty much everything you're saying. And I think uh, for me, obviously, the line that we talked about too, the, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Like, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Um, the, the In terms of the first scene, uh, favorite characters, I really obviously just love John Wick. Uh, Vigo's actually a really good enemy, and I, I like every line that he delivers. Winston is great, and we talked about uh, Lance Reddick's character. I, I always forget his name in this movie, but... He's excellent. Um, and in in terms of the order of the films, I'd also go three, one, two, three, just really up the ante. And they did it in such a good way mm-hmm. that it, it worked out well. I love the Bowery King. I love uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. And so his character has been a fun addition to, yeah. you know, you get to reunite Morpheus and Neo. So This is the Bowery. Yeah. Like, he's got such like a commanding presence, like. Like Lawrence Fishburne just knows how to fucking bring it. Like whether he's playing like the commander of a ship uh, in the Matrix or whether he's like the lead of the hobos. Yeah. In in John Wick, then he's just he knows how to bring it. They about to learn that if you cut a king, you better cut him quick. That's what he says. It's uh, amazing. So cool, man. Well, that is all I have. So do you have any final thoughts? And what is your letter grade for John Wick, the first movie? Uh, Don't think I have any final thoughts except for this movie fucking rules. And if you haven't seen it. um, What are you doing with your life? (laughs) Yeah, you should you should go see it. Uh, And this is an A plus plus for me. Uh, You know, 10 out of 10, five gold stars. Hell yeah. 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 This is also an A plus for me. I can watch this movie on repeat and never get tired of it. I mm-hmm. am. I'm like I said, I'm a hog and shit, man. I absolutely love these types of action films and they really just do a great job. So, David, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on MySpace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I got a sweet song on my profile. It's Fallout Boy. (laughs) Right, yeah. Season change, but people don't. Um, Dude, yeah. I actually think their first two albums were were better than that one, though. No, I I agree. Um, Take This to Your Grave is probably my favorite. Uh, And then From Another Cork Tree is a close second. And then... Hey, Chris, uh, you were our only friend, and I know this is belated. We love you back. Yeah. but uh fuck what was oh yeah where, where am i on social media so yeah i am the host uh, along with my beautiful wife Lindsay. uh we are the hosts of the geek garage podcast um zach has been on multiple times uh in uh, in the past here recently actually to uh what was that obi-wan kenobi that we talked yeah. about yeah that was fun um we are on all streaming platforms uh spotify google apple anywhere uh, YouTube even. Um, and, uh, we basically, we, we just talk about, uh, here recently, it's been a lot of contemporary nerdy stuff, but, um, our, our thing is, uh, our opening intro is, uh, we're the most inclusive and accessible nerd culture audio program on the interwebs. And just like we state, um, pretty much anyone can jump in and, 
and, and learn something like you, we touch a little bit on everything and you don't have to be proficient in star Wars or star Trek. If we do one of those episodes, like, you know, you, if you tune in, you're guaranteed to learn something and not get lost in the weeds. So, um, but yeah, like I said, we're on all streaming platforms. Um, or you can visit us at geekrogepodcast.com. Uh, we also have an awesome Facebook group uh, where we do a lot of uh, interaction and polls and just uh, fun, like uh, thought-provoking questions. And a lot, a lot of the time that gets recycled for uh, for future podcast episodes. So yeah, it's a, it's a good time. Come check us out. Hell yeah. Well, thank you, sir, for being on the show. This has no, no, uh, been you. a blast. It's always great yeah. speaking with you. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDL60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please make sure that it is streaming. John Wick and I think all three are streaming on uh, Peacock. They might have been taken off now that it's August, but I'm sure they'll be back, or you should just purchase them because they're not these. So please make sure that you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It helps us immensely. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app, including Spotify, Pandora, whatever you may listen to your podcasts on. So thank you for listening, and please don't be crazy. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.